Welcome back to Revive School. This is Lesson 85 in the Historical Books. We're in 1 Chronicles, and we're picking up in 1 Chronicles chapter 3, which really is one of the more exciting chapters in this grouping of, of names and genealogy of these first nine chapters of, of 1 Chronicles. And I'm in awe because we're, we're starting in Judah, and we're picking up the line of Judah with David. Remember the the incredible word that we have for First Chronicles, son of David. And we're going to see here in the midst of the son of David, all of this genealogy. That's what this whole chapter is about. And I want to remind you of our word that we had for Genesis, which was seed. You're going to see this come through all the way uh, through this whole genealogy of, of and whole chapter of chapter three of First Chronicles, it really reinforces that. So let's go to Mindy's painting and the importance of from Genesis and using the apple and that seed and how it grows into the entirety of the tree. It really points to David. It has to go through David, and we don't want to miss this because here comes the line of the promise. And the author of Chronicles, uh, if it's Ezra or any other priestly thought, it, it is so important that the line of the promise be shown. And there's so many, so many stories, there's so many connections that it's going to be important for us today to really stay and highlight the line. So we get to verses 1 through 9, and we begin with verse 1. These are David's sons who were born to him in Hebron. Amnon was the firstborn. Ohionam of Jezreel, by, yeah, of, by Ohionam of Jezreel. Daniel was second by Abigail of Carmel. Third was Absalom, son of Maka, daughter of Talmai of Geshur. And third, Adonijah, son of Haggith, was fourth. Now, stop here for a second because this is kind of fun. These guys don't end up really, really well. And David's going to rule in Hebron for seven years. He's going to have six sons in that period of time. He's very productive. And the one thing you're going to notice, even in the midst of all of this, David has a lot of sons. He also has a lot of wives. It doesn't turn out real well that way sometimes. But Amnon, he is the full uh, brother, <laughs> or he gets, he gets really excited and goes and has uh, and rapes Absalom's sister, his half-sister, he gets killed by Absalom. David says, ah, uh, that's not good. I'm very furious with you, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Adonijah comes in later on, as well as Absalom. They both try to take over the throne of David. Both end up being killed. We've got Daniel, and the chronicler labels him as, excuse me, as Daniel. But in other places, he's given the name Kiliab or Chiliab, depending on which, again, translation and how the, uh, the translator writes it, which actually means like his father. 
There's a lot of variations of names, and if you put them together, it can get extremely confusing. I was confused, but this Daniel or Chiliab, and the name Chiliab, like his father, mother is Abigail. And it's believed that this, this son, which we don't know anything else about, actually disappears, but it's because Abigail and how she ended up marrying David... Because Abigail's first husband rebelled against David. David killed him, and then he married Abigail, and then they had this son, Daniel. Not good, and doesn't carry on the seed in these first four sons. There's rebellion, there's rape, there's death, but those aren't the only sons that are born here in uh, in Hebron while he rules there. So it goes on with uh, verses. the next verse in uh, Sheptiah by Abital was the fifth. Ithrim by David's wife Eglah was sixth. I'm going to stop there for just a second because this whole element of Eglah and Ithrim, again, not going to fit into the line, but Jewish, some Jewish scholars think that Eglah is actually Michael, Saul's daughter, who was David's first wife, who, if you notice, in the midst of this whole genealogy that the chronicler never mentions Michael. So I don't know why Jewish scholars tend to think at some point that Eglah was Ithrim because the uh, biblical accounts say, no, Michael's not represented. In fact, this incredible relationship that they had was so strained by the end that she actually curses David. David's not going to have any offspring by her. In fact, in 2 Samuel 6.23, it says she remains childless to her death. So is there something different here? I don't think so, but it's a fascinating connection that some try to make. I mention it simply because of the import of the seed and carrying on the seed. Um, what is interesting, though, is as this carries on, is it moves into David's other wives, and from seven years in Hebron, he now rules how long, how many years in Jerusalem? 33. 33. In that 33-year time, he now has connections and marries Bathsheba, which is another name we think for Bathsheba, absolutely uh, gets reinforced that way. And lo and behold, instead of one son per wife that he had in Hebron, here's a wife that he has four sons with. What's the first thing you notice in the chronicler's account here of David and Bathsheba? What isn't mentioned? Son that died. The son that died. And what else? The sin. The sin. The sin is never mentioned. The import for the chronicler here is not all of the details, but where is the seed coming through? And always the focus is on son of David. Here's the line of son of David. And he never talks about the sin. But he does list those sons that are going to get uh, born to David and Bathsheba, or Bathsheba, as the chronicler accounts her. Uh, let's go to verse 5. These are the sons born to him in Jerusalem. Shimea, Shobab, Nathan, and Solomon. These four were born to him by Bathsheba, daughter of Amiel. Here they are, down here. 
We all know Solomon. I don't want you to forget Nathan. There is a strong reason that I want to highlight for you as we track the seed of both Solomon and Nathan. What's something else you notice in this account, guys? Anything that, that jumps out at you? Uh, Solomon's listed last. Solomon's listed last. Here's another instance of where some of the details of order doesn't seem to be as important to our chronicler as, as some other things because it's recorded for us that, um, that Solomon was the one that was born after the child that died that was the child of the sin of David and Bathsheba. But here he's listed fourth. Why is up for debate, and some people will write a long time on that, but here is that element. Here's the other aspect is that Nathan is mentioned, and so I want you to keep Nathan in mind, and maybe uh, go with uh, Kevin, jump to Luke chapter 3, verse 31 for a second. In the genealogy of Luke chapter 3, pointing to Jesus, here's the son of Malia, son of, Me of Mena, son of Mattatha, son of Nathan, son of David. I want you to keep this in mind. Nathan has an important role to carry on as part of the seed of the son of David. And there's an important element that we're going to come to as we, as we flesh this out later. Verses 6 and 7, as we jump back to 1 Chronicles 3, David's other sons. There's a whole slew of them. Uh, again, some of the fun names, I mean, Nepheg, uh, I don't know anybody named Nepheg, but it's a, it's a fun name. But one thing I do want you to, show, to notice, and it's really evident on our little chart here, is Ephelet and Ephelet, and they've marked it as Ephelet again. The thought being that this could be a son that, was, that died in infancy, and then to retain the memory, use the name again. The chronicler is just making sure that we see and that we understand that these were David's sons. And they are labeled there. There's nine. No mother's name listed. And he carries on. Verse 9 of 1 Chronicles 3. These were David's sons with their sister Tamar in addition to the sons by his concubines. So Tamar is listed here. Women do not normally get named in a lot of times in the chronologies unless they have an impact on history. Tamar has an impact on history, as we have seen in just the, the quick highlighting of everything that happened with Amnon and Absalom. So she gets mentioned. We don't know how many concubines he had. He just had concubines. We know of at least 10 from 2 Samuel chapter 15 and 2 Samuel chapter 20. How many sons, we don't know. How many concubines, we don't know. But we know that there were a number of concubines that dishonored David with his son Absalom, whom Absalom had sex with in public, to just highlight how much contempt he had for his father and how he was usurping the throne. They're not listed. It, it doesn't impact anything other than it shows some reality for us. 
The focus is the seed and the line of the seed. It's coming through David, who's part of the tribe of Judah. It's coming down through Bathsheba. And again, how God uses amazingly flawed people for his purpose. And then through the line of David and Bathsheba, keep in mind Solomon and Nathan. We know Solomon because of his kingship. We know Nathan because we've already highlighted that he's part of the genealogy uh, in, back in Luke. I think there's something also that's important for us to see. And that's in the midst of all of this genealogy, these are real people. They're really, really messed up. And they live through it, and God uses some of their mess. I mean, David's family was a pretty unhealthy situation because of the consequences of sin. There was jealousy going on between these sons. There was categories of sons. There were sons who were favored, who didn't deserve to be favored. There were those that we, don't lo- we lose total track of. And yet God uses them. And even Bathsheba becoming part of the line of the son of David the seed of the Messiah. And he also used it in spiritual formation. In the midst of all of that, David writes Psalms. It's out of the cry of his heart, out of the midst of all the turmoil and all of the chaos that was part of his family line. In a soul that couldn't find rest, in a soul that couldn't find peace in anything but a faithful God, even in the midst of the consequences of his sin, he offers that to the very present help in time of trouble in the songs of Psalms. And that's what it flowed from. But now it carries on. And the chronicler makes sure that we see Solomon. Here's the line of the king. And that's important. We've gone through this in Kings already with Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and his son, Abijah, his son, Apha, his son, Jehoshaphat. These are basically the, the line of the kings of Judah because from Solomon and then into Rehoboam, the kingdom splits. It just tears apart. And so from here on out, it's the lines of, of, the, of the kings of, of Judah. And, you know... We can go through this list of names, and we're going to be going through it for several days. And I've approached this as a tedious list most of the times. I've got to confess to you. Uh, You read it as a duty, and you just read it through fast so you don't have to spend that much time on it. But these were real people who lived and died, and God used. Some of them desired fame and power. And it reflected how fleeting that was in these kings of Judah. And that's a good warning for us. Some of them desired the fame and the power of the Almighty. They were the good kings, that he's the one to be remembered. And that's something for us to focus on. And we watch how it ebbs and flows. And I I keep getting this pendulum swing that keeps happening. Good king, bad king. And we can't hardly imagine how, how that all fleshes out as it passes on. But it moves for, on to verse 11, his son Jehoram and his son Ahaziah, his son Joash. And there's a lot of variations of these names in the biblical account. Sometimes they've got nicknames and uh, they, they, you know, Joash is also known as Jehoash. Jehoram is also known as Joram. 
they've got variations and it gets difficult for us to track at times. But there's implications in all of those names, sometimes in the name changes. There's, there's internal struggles in the midst of those name changes, but the line keeps going. It keeps going. And it keeps progressing. And we need to see how that seed is being passed time and time again. What's interesting is there's one king. There's all the 15 kings of Judah that are listed, but there's one king who's not, the woman king, Athaliah, the usurper, who wanted to, oh, after her son, uh, Ahaziah, is killed, she takes over the throne and tries to kill her grandson, Joash. So she comes in in the midst of here. It's, it's a crazy, crazy sequence, but she really only fits in as carrying the <laughs> parts of the seed, and it's wild. Amaziah, Azariah, Jothan, on to verse 13, uh, Ahaz, Hezekiah, his son Manasseh. Boy, there's a swing from how good Hezekiah is to how bad Manasseh is. And then it carries on to son Amnon, his son Josiah. Amnon, very evil, Josiah, very good, and Josiah's sons. This is interesting, and this is why it's important for us to keep track of this line and where this is all going, because it's in the whole sequence of these sons and the last kings of Judah that has this crazy ending, but it's so incredibly important to understand and to see. Here comes these last kings. So, Jehonan, he dies. His son Jehoiakim sits on the throne. He's not there very long. He is so bad and has impact with the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, Kevin, would you go for me? Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 30. This is why it's incredibly important. Jeremiah prophesies over Jehoiakim. This is what the Lord says. Record this man as childless, a man who will not be successful in his lifetime. None of his descendants will succeed in sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. Why is that important to note? Kevin, any thoughts? It's going to kind of jump to the side, basically, instead of go straight down. Zedekiah gets on the throne. They both get carried off. Actually, Jehoiakim is killed. No, he, he actually gets carried off to Babylon. So does Zedekiah. They both get carried off. But this prophecy from Jeremiah, the danger is, wait a minute, does this mean you know, the, the seed is going to stop? None of his descendants will succeed in sitting on the throne of David. But it's incredibly important for us to see as we follow the seed from Genesis to highlight the son of David, that the son of David is going to lead to the Messiah. And that the word of God in his prophet is going to carry on. He says, from Jehoiachim, your seed will not succeed in sitting on the throne of David 
or ruling of Judah. The chronicler is going to show that the whole line, the whole royal line and the line of David is going to come back and will be in place. We're going to see that here in just a second as they return from the exile. Through this line will come the line of the kings. But the seed of David, the line of, of purity, so that this man's child will not sit on the throne, but yet the line of the kingship is on the throne, is seen in the, in the chronologies of Matthew and Luke. Here is why Luke becomes important. Because again, from son of David, let's go back to the, the, the picture of David's sons for a second, if we can. And we come back to Solomon and Nathan. The kingship comes through Solomon, and that carries through. But note, and that is highlighted in the chronology and genealogy of Matthew for the son of David, for the king. I've always heard and I've always been told that potentially the two genealogies are of Mary and of Joseph and that Mary's is in Luke because if you notice the line from David heading down comes through Nathan in Luke chapter 3. There is an incredibly important element here because both Mary and Joseph are going to come from the line of David. They're both of the tribe of Judah. But the kingship is going to head off into exile. And the chronicler wants us to be highlighted and to understand how this line comes out. And the two lines are going to merge. Let's move on and make a big jump into the line of David after the exile. And we're going to see that here comes the line, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, and Shealtiel, and, and how, uh, Jeconiah has Shealtiel, Malchariah, uh, I, I mess up the names, just say them fast. Pedadiah, Sennheiser, Jechemiah, Hoshama, and Nebadiah. Yay! We get some of those names and we all mess them up. But here's where it becomes so incredibly important. Verses 17 and 18. Here comes these descendants. Here comes then the whole line into verse, what number? That's verse 19. Because Pedadiah has a son as listed by the chronicler of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel brings and is the one who comes back and reestablishes the kingdom. He builds that shack of a temple, but to try to bring it back. And both of the genealogies of Jesus, as recorded by Matthew and by Luke, highlight Zerubbabel. They join back together. The lines come back together at this point. But what's interesting in the gospel accounts is he is listed as coming through Shealtiel. The chronicler here says, no, it's from Pedadiah. The line must continue. Atheists will point to this and say, see, it doesn't match up. But as students of the word and as revived school, we've been through the Pentateuch. We know that some of these conditions are pulled together. That Zerubbabel is the one who the lineage continues through and bring, helps bring the captives back to Jerusalem and attempts to rebuild the altar of the Lord and rebuild the temple is potentially that he was seriously the son of Pedadiah. But Pedadiah died and Shealtiel, as the oldest son, takes on the, uh, the accounting and the earthly fatherdom 
for lack of a better term. Here's your Levervite marriage. There's also the potential that Shealtiel died. And so a younger son, a younger brother would take on the wife and there'd be another child offered. Both of those we see in the Pentateuch. Both are explanations and options that we have to understand how this connection and how what the Chronicler has matches up with what we have in the Gospels, both in Matthew and Luke. But the important element here is that there is no breakage, there is no inconsistency, and it comes through, and the line comes through, into Zerubbabel. Here's the line that keeps on coming. Now, there's a lot of other names that we have here. Pedadiah's son, he has another Zerubbabel, and Shimei. Zerubbabel's son, Meshulam, and Hananiah with their sister Shelomith. What a name. And five others. Let's not even worry about trying to pronounce their names. There's three more in verse 23 uh, with all these descendants. These are names. They're obscure names. But they're real people. They're part of the Chronicler making sure that we understand that they all fit together. And the line keeps coming through. And eventually, we get into verses 21 to 24 with all these other sons. Let's go to that one if we can show. Because what's fun is when we get to the end of these lines where there's six sons or five sons in verse 22. There's three in verse 23. There's another seven in verse 24. Here comes the line all the way through. And here's the last sons of the line. And we get to Anani, if you know anything about the NFL draft. The last guy picked in the draft is known as Mr. Irrelevant. Although sometimes they have a very relevant aspect. And here's the element here. This is the last one recorded because this is the last one at the end of the writing. We believe Chronicles, and in the Hebrew organization of Chronicles, this is the last book in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. In their order, this is the last one. So he's recorded at the close of the Old Testament canon, possibly in the 5th century B.C. This is as far as the line goes. It's going to take it for somebody else to pick up the line and carry on the seed all the way to the real son of David, the one that we're looking for. The family of David is the most considerable of any of the tribes and any of the family lines in the whole tribe of Judah. It's the genealogy that the seed of the Messiah is going to come through. And that's highlighted, and the chronicler wants to make sure that we get everything there. So he takes a lot of time and a lot of of detail to make sure that we understand each and every offspring and what that brings. And yet, the line of the seed of the promise moves from generation to generation. From the beginning, all the way through, the vine and the branches, the twists and the turns, the promise of God is going to come through. This whole chapter points to Christ. In all of the twists and turns, 
in all of the sin and all of the glory, in all of the well-known names, David, Solomon, and so on, to the obscure names of Elionai and Anani. The seed comes through. The whole chapter, again, it points to Christ in a complex and wild route, in an amazing twist and turn, only by God's hand could he bring it together. And he does for us. This is the call of God. This is what he's teaching us. Pay close attention to each and every name that we have. Pay close attention to how God is connecting for eternity each and every one of us. Would you go back to verse 1 of chapter 3? These were the David's son who were born to him. There's one son that's not mentioned, not born in Hebron, not born in Jerusalem, but one that will be born in Bethlehem. And it all points to him. We'll carry on the genealogy tomorrow as we go into 1 Chronicles chapter 4. Hang on. God bless.